We are in the midst of a series. And what we're doing is we're, we're spending seven weeks in this very book, the Gospel of John, and we're focusing on the seven miracles or the seven signs that Jesus accomplished while here on earth. So the purpose of John's book, as we've said, we find that in John 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, there will be a few verses up on the screen because I enjoy doing that. But anyways, uh, in John 20, 30 to 31, the scripture says, Now, Jesus did many other signs in these seven. All right, He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But here's the purpose for my book. Okay, But these signs were written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So John's purpose of writing the gospel was not to give a long, drawn-out, exhaustive account of Jesus' life, but to show by seven signs that Jesus is who He says He is, the very Son of God. And that if you would believe in Him, you would have eternal life with Him. And so with every one of these sevens, I want to say there's two things we want to pull out. Number one, we have the God who uh, proves that he is the Son of God by doing something that only God can do. But secondly, not only is he a God out there, he is a God right here with us. And so he also meets a practical need in the lives of maybe a single person, a family, a group of people like his disciples, or even the whole community. And each of them have a point to point towards him. So now we're going to talk about John chapter 6. And we're going to run through most of this chapter. I will have to skip a few verses for time's sake. And it will be good for you to kind of read them uh, on your own as well. But the big miracle that we see here, the sign, is that Jesus is going to feed a large group of people. All right? Some of you did not know that Jesus had a catering business. Ah! Go figure. All right. Now, uh, his menu items were pretty limited, okay, because of the amount. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, Jesus focused on fish and, and bread, right? Well, let's, um, let's just kind of walk through uh, this passage. But before we do, I'm going to go ahead and just throw out to you my first point. All right. Why in the world would Jesus feed a crowd like this? What, what would be his thinking behind it? Well, listen, first point I want you to get before we even get to the passage Jesus always has a purpose in his provision. Jesus doesn't just flippantly do miracles. Everyone that he does has a purpose. And don't get me wrong. Don't think that Jesus only does a limited number of miracles because he doesn't have a lot of power. All right, you may have seen like the Santa Claus movies with uh, Tim Allen, and we we find out that Santa Claus on his own only has a little bit of power, so he's got to uh, you know use it wisely. That's not true with Jesus. He is all power, all might, all knowledge, all wisdom. He is omni everything. He is not limited by anything, especially by your mind. But God does not play junior magician. At your kids' birthday parties. All right? Everything that he does is for a purpose. He's purpose driven. Jesus is intentional. And so Jesus had a purpose uh, in this very provision. All right? And that purpose, I'm just going to throw it out to you, it was a test. Jesus had a test. And the test was this Do you trust Jesus Christ to meet your provisions for today? How about this? What if the uh, provision is impossible to meet? What if the provision is impossible to meet? Well, let's get to the passage. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. And please kind of follow along with me in your Bible, your tablet, or your phone, or whatever device you have. In John 6, 1 through 13, we we read this. After this, after Jesus' miracle that took place in chapter 5... After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Of course they were, right? We talked a little bit about why they keep following him, not for the right reasons, but anyways. And so a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Okay, so imagine that. People keep following. He's like, let's go to a place that might be a little tough for people to follow us. So let's go up on the mountain. All right, in verse 4 it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, he can't get away from them. Jesus said to Philip, Where 
are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? All right, so these people have been following Jesus for a while. Jesus knew that they were hungry. Uh, and so Jesus simply asked one of his disciples, hey, uh, where are you going to go buy bread? These people, they got to eat. <laughs> and listen to Philip's response. Well, before that, in verse 6 it says, And Jesus said this, he told this to, to Philip to test him, for Jesus himself knew what he was about to do. So then Philip answers, uh, Jesus, 200 denarii, and a denarii is like uh, a whole day's wage, okay? 200 days of work worth of bread would not be enough for each of these people to get even a little Jesus, what you just asked me to do, not possible. I figured it out mathematically. It's not possible. The scripture goes down later on and says there were 5,000 men who ate. 5,000 men. So that's not including 5,000 women and either five to 10,000 kids. Possibility between fifteen and 20,000 people were following Jesus. He's like a day's wage, you know, with 200 to 20,000. Where are we going to get that much money? It's not possible, Jesus. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a boy here. So at least there was one boy around, right? We know that. Uh... There was a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that for so many? I almost see like a, kind of like a, a sarcasm there. You want food? Hey, here's food. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to help us a bit. Five loaves, two fish. But what is that for so many? Jesus Task them with an impossible task. What would you do in that situation? Jesus gives you a task and you think about it and logically it does not make sense. Stay at your workplace. Jesus, you know what I have to deal with day in and day out. Man, I'm just looking for the next step. I'm looking for the new opening. And you, you hear Jesus' words, stay. It doesn't make sense. Jesus says, move. Are you kidding? I just finished rebuilding the kitchen. Why in the world would I want to move? That's not possible. I'm not going to make my money back. Move. Witness. Jesus, you know that if I were to witness in the group of friends that I have, I will lose these friends. Witness. Give. Jesus, you know what I have and you know what I don't have. And it doesn't make sense at this point in my life to give. Give. Andrew, Philip, feed 5,000 people. Not possible. We can't do it. They gave up. And that's exactly what they needed to do. Remember, this is a test. As soon as they gave up, as soon as Philip put down his calculator, I mean, uh, yeah, Philip, as soon as Philip put down his calculator, as soon as Andrew got through surveying the crowd and said, we got nothing except this lunch, as soon as they gave that up, Jesus stepped in. Listen to what takes place in verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus was on the move. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. About 5,000 in number. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So all the fish, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is insane. At this point, some of you are like, what was that prayer Jesus prayed? I really need to pray that over my Wells Fargo right now, my account. All right, I get that. All right, the Bible doesn't give us the right words. And guess what? It's not the point. It wasn't the words. It was the one who spoke them. Listen, Jesus provides what the disciples could not. Jesus provides what the disciples could not. And how well did he provide? Listen, five loaves, two fish, 15 to 20,000 people. How well did he provide? There's two indicators in here that, that shows you how well he provided. Number one, people just didn't get a pinch of the loaf. All right? They didn't just get... Uh, someone didn't get stuck with the head, the cold fish head, all right? It says that they were filled, the people were full, and number two, there were leftovers. When Jesus provides, he will provide abundantly. He will take care of those he says he will take care of. What this tells us in these first 13 verses is this. Jesus is God of the impossible. Jesus is God of the impossible. Keep this in mind. Point number one, Jesus had a purpose in his provision. It hasn't been fully developed yet. His purpose was a test. And at this point, the disciples, after doing it their own way, decided finally to give up. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. That's exactly what Jesus wants you to do. You are struggling and straining to make your life right. You're struggling and straining to make your relationship with God right. And God wants to step in and do the impossible in your life. So Jesus, number one, he has a purpose in his provision. But number two is even greater. Jesus is the ultimate eternal provision. This is what he's going to bring out to the crowd, right? Jesus is with his disciples, but now there's even more disciples, probably hundreds of them following, and even the crowd's people, all right? Jesus is going to explain from the feeding of the crowd that he is the ultimate eternal provision. What were the, what was the result from the crowd after they saw Jesus feed 5,000 people? I'm so glad you asked. Get back in the Bible in verse 14 and 15. The scripture says, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, this is what they said. This is indeed the prophet. Okay, not just a prophet, one of the many prophets. They use a specific term here. He is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then, uh, perceiving then that they were about to come and take Jesus by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here's what, here's how the crowd responded to this. Jesus just fed thousands of people by praying over five loaves and two fish. This isn't like anybody else. This is someone that I want with me all the time. Now at this point it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I want someone with me all the time. They weren't looking for Messiah, okay? They were looking for a sugar daddy. That's exactly what they were looking for. All right? And they decided and desired to take Jesus by force. Is, is that called uh, making him Lord of your life? By taking Jesus by force? Jesus put him in a headlock. You're going to be king whether you like it or not. Okay? That's what they did in this story. And then they called him the prophet. This is key for the rest of this story, for the rest of this passage. Because when they said, indeed, Jesus is the prophet, 
What they were doing, think about what's going on here. The Feast of Passover. Passover was the great feast that brought one of God's people into great prominence. The leader of the people and his name is Moses. Moses was the great deliverer. And that very sign that God was going to deliver them was the picture of the Passover. And in this Passover feast, they recognized who it is that they were waiting for. And then Moses, as he takes the people who wander uh, from the desert uh, uh, all throughout the, the wilderness of Sinai, guess what happened? The people got really hungry. Sometimes they starved. And they complained. And then many times they were full to overflowing. And yet God was with them the whole time. Moses took care of them. Despite the groaning, the moaning, and the complaining. And just before Moses dies, he says this. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It'll be on your screen. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says this. The Lord your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Moses just said there's going to come a prophet He's going to be like me. I mean, you think I'm something. Check out this guy. This guy is going to be absolutely amazing. This is the guy you need to listen to. And so now the people, 1,500 years later, are looking at the prophet that we're supposed to listen to, and they're making demands of him? That's what we do today, isn't it? Jesus, according to the book that I read from this best-selling author who happens to be a quote-unquote Christian author, you, if I follow you, then you're supposed to give me all my heart's desires. You're going to take care of my, my wants and my needs, and, and I need to look out for number one because you say I'm special. So the world needs to see me as special. And that's how they treated God's prophet. You see, what they did was they recognized that Jesus was the prophesied prophet from old, from Moses' own mouth. He was the one that they waited for. He was their hope and their redeemer from all their oppression. And so their desire was to make him king immediately. Jesus, we want you in control so that we can control you. They missed the point. Go to verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. I know we skipped a few passages, but, but that's okay. Uh, um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll deal with uh, the walking on the water next week. It says in verse 25, Matt, uh, John 6, 25. Remember Jesus went up alone on the mountain the last time we, we read? Well, guess what? They found him the next day. When they found him on the other side of the sea, here's what the crowd said to him. Rabbi, when did you come here? Where were you? And Jesus did not answer their question. Instead, this is what he answered. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, the miracles that should point to who I am. He said, not because of that reason, but because you ate and your fill of the loaves. The reason you're coming to me is because you want me to take care of you. You want me to work so that you don't have to. You want me to uh, give you paychecks. For nothing and everything else for free. Look at the next verse. Do not work for the food that perishes, which means this. When he says, do not work for the food that perishes, some of you are looking at me as the one who's going to take care of you down here. Okay? You're looking at Jesus as the one who's going to make your life happy, healthy, and wise. That's what you want from Jesus. Just make these next 150 years, because none of us want to die, all right? We know people who praise God, even though maybe their, their child or their, their teenage person uh, who, who came to know Christ, but they died a tragic death. They weep and they mourn, but they mourn with hope, knowing that God, you're sovereign even over all these things. And yet some of us are mad at God because your 102-year-old grandmother died and you needed 50 more years with them. You see, you're making God this, this, uh, this grand, uh, what a universal, that's the term I'm trying to, universal vending machine. And God does not play that game. 
So they recognized him. But Jesus is like, listen, don't work for the things down here. Don't make your life's passion and goal to be to get it all down here. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. There is a different type of food that you and I are to chase after. And listen to this. This is crazy. Do not work for the food that perishes, but implied work for the food that that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Strive after, long for, desire the things that, that, that make an eternal difference in your life and in your family's life and in your community's life. And he says, the Son of Man is the one who's going to give you these things. Jesus says, I want to give you things. He says, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. God has, for all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, God has put a seal upon them. And God wants to give you blessings that are eternal, not just temporal, not just the things of this earth. So listen to this. Jesus, he provides for the physical needs for one reason. To show that he is capable and powerful enough to provide for your spiritual needs. If Jesus took care of all your physical needs all the time, to where you had no, no want or anything, you wouldn't look towards him. You wouldn't desire him because in some weird way, you'd think that you are more important than Jesus. Listen, the greatest need to be met in this crowd of people, i.e. this crowd of people here today, is not food and drink. Your greatest need is not lunch as much as you desire it, and I desire it so bad right now. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ himself. See, wealth is not going to satisfy you. Some of us have touched it, and it went away. Relationships, selfish relationships, cannot ultimately satisfy. Good times are only available for a time. That's why it's called good times. All these things are fleeting and they will pass away. Look at verse 28. And then they said to Jesus, oh, this is a powerful statement here. Then they said to him, you know, because they're looking for that ultimate provision that Jesus is. They said, what must we do that we are doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? All right, Jesus, so what is it? What is the, the thing that we're supposed to do that would bring us into right relationship with God? What is it? What is that one? And this is a question that all of us need to answer. Ask it and answer it. And Jesus gives us the answer. He says this. This is the work of God. You want to know what it is? The work of God is that you believe in Him who He has sent. What is the great work of God that you're called to do? Believe in Jesus Christ. Don't just believe. That's what the world says. Just believe in something. No. Believe in a specific someone. Jesus Christ. That's why he came to the earth. So that you would know him. And that you would believe in him. And that you would have life in his name. So the urging that Jesus is telling this crowd of people... To which through his word today, 2019, he's telling us today, you want to know God. You want to do the work of God. Receive, believe and receive Jesus into your life. Let him do the work that you cannot do. Let him take your sins away from you. So that you can be cleansed and you can have a right relationship to the most holy God. You can't do it. Every work that you try to do is going to be tainted in sin. But even, even if from this moment on you did all good, you still have all your past that has not been dealt with and it won't be dealt with. You need a savior. You need someone who can take your place to buy back your sins. And Jesus says to do the work of God is to believe in the son. But the crowd And maybe some of us today, we still don't get it. Verse 30. So they asked him, after Jesus just gave the answer, believe in him who they sent. 
who, who God sent. Listen to this. So they said to him in verse 30, Then what sign do you do, Jesus? Hmm. What sign? Forget about yesterday, feeding the 5,000 people. All right? Forget about turning the water into wine, which is what we talked about. Forget about healing the nobleman's son. Okay? Forget about healing that man who was at the pool of Siloam that we dealt with a couple of weeks ago. All right? Forget about all that stuff. Here's what they're asking. Then what sign, Jesus, do you do that we may see and believe you? Are you kidding me? These people still, when they burped, they had the taste of fish in their mouth from yesterday. And yet, right now, they're saying, what else are you going to do for us? What sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Here it comes, going back to Moses. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're saying this, thanks for the food yesterday, but are you going to do it every day? That's what happened back then. In order for us to believe you, Jesus, you need to keep feeding us. You need to keep being our babysitter. They missed the point. See, they didn't seek a Messiah. They sought another Moses. In Jesus, they only saw a free ride and an easy life. Of course they want that person to be king. They didn't care about beliefs or policies, etc., The deciding factor on following Jesus is this. Will you feed us always? Will you feed us always? Listen, the crowd is always... This is going to get kind of real here, okay? The crowd always gravitates to the easy life. Even over morals and fairness. That is why it's normal to cheat in school. That's why it's okay to tell white lies as long as it meets our needs. That's why it's okay to vote for candidates that have ungodly agendas yet promise you a better life. Again, they wanted God to be like a heavenly vending machine, dispensing out all their whims and their wants. But God will not play that game. He did the signs he did to show them enough. Trust him. Verse 32. Jesus then said to this crowd, Boy, Jesus is patient. (laughs) He said to the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father did that. See, even back then, they weren't focused on God. They were focused on their wants. Moses was the man. Are you kidding? Moses was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. But they put Moses as an idol in their life. No wonder they kept forsaking God. You as well. If you put a political candidate and make that person your idol, you will forget about God. When you put that celebrity up on stage and you'd rather listen to their will and their uh, opinions over getting into the Word of God, you're going to fall. Jesus said in verse 32 again, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Hmm, I wonder who that is. They said to him, well then give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. And so Jesus said, I am him. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So when he uses the term hunger and thirst, he's not talking about a literal piece of bread because bread makes you thirsty. So he's talking about a symbolic, a spiritual understanding here. You want physical bread that'll get you for a few hours? What I offer to you is eternal life. And when it's eternal, means you never lose it. It's forever. 
You don't have to ever thirst uh, saying, I want eternal life. I want it. I, what can I do? No. Once you come to know Christ and you rest in the promises of God, you no longer have to hunger and thirst for it because it has been given to you fully and freely in Christ. The greatest thing that God can do for you is not to fill your belly, but to fill you with His Spirit. And the proof that He can do that is that He filled their bellies. If He did a miracle that only God can do, and God who does not lie says, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life, then you can trust what you can't see because He did everything you can see. Which brings us to number three. We're going to find some tension here. And I want, to, I want to ask you to do what many of the disciples in this passage did not do. Listen to Jesus. All right? Because if you listen half-heartedly, you're going to walk away from him. You think you've got to figure God out. You are going to be severely frustrated. Jesus only gives ultimate provision for his own. Let that sink in. Jesus only gives ultimate provision for his own. Does that mean that there were some people in that crowd of 15,000, 20,000 people that did not believe in Jesus and they didn't get food? No, they got food. Everyone got food, right? Everyone was taken care of. Jesus gave everyone a provision. But he didn't give everyone ultimate provision. He didn't give everyone eternal life. Uh oh. Jesus only gives ultimate provision for his own. Hence, but it's necessary we find this out. John 6, 36, following. Jesus said, But I said to you that you have seen me, this whole crowd of people. You've seen me, you've seen my works, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Isn't that awesome? Everyone who comes to him, he won't cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but... Raise it up in that last day, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I, Jesus personally, will raise Him up on that last day. Here's what Jesus just said. Not all of you are going to believe in me. After all I've done, after all I've spoken... After all I've shared with you, after all I've walked through with y'all, some of y'all are not going to believe. But he says in there, those that do believe, oh my. To those who do believe, man, you are set and you are sealed with a, from a holy God. And he will never let you go. You have the sealing of the Father, you have the sealing of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You have all the Godhead at work sealing you and, and raising you up on that last day. And the Jews got frustrated about that. Look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Basically, what they're saying is, who does this guy think he is? We've seen his miracles, and they should have proven that he was God. We've heard his authoritative words. It should have uh, uh, clued them in on the fact that he's speaking the words of God because he is God. But they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do a little backtracking here. We kind of know about Jesus. We know his, his early upbringings. We know all this about him. No, I can't believe this person. I'm looking for someone just to come out of the blue. I'm looking for someone I do not know, a family member I do not know. How many of us struggle with trusting God because we see God at work in other people's lives? No, that can't be of God. I know what that person did. 
See, the beautiful thing about Jesus, he never did anything wrong. But these people knew Jesus' parents. I'm about to break, break some hearts here. Jesus' parents were sinners in need of a Savior. Mary was in need of a Savior. Joseph was in need of a Savior. Jesus' brothers, he had brothers, they were in need of a Savior. So when they looked at Jesus, they looked at his family. And they're like, we know these people too well. That can't be from God. How many times do we discount the work of God as coincidence? How many times do we discount the work of God as uh, just more effort, more involvement in other people's lives? We miss the obvious because we're not looking for Jesus. We're not looking for the Savior. All we're doing is we're looking for a heavenly vending machine. And it's destroying our potential relationship with God. So here's how Jesus responds. In verse 43, Jesus answered him, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. Which, you know, Jesus is. Okay, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Moses gave them temporal food, which is what you're asking for, and they died. You want me to just be your, your, your food truck? Guess what? You're going to die. But this bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, you will never ultimately die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I give you for life of the world is my flesh. Wow. Jesus said, you are munching on the things of this world. Why don't you munch on me? That sounds weird, doesn't it? But keep in mind the story where he's coming from. He says, you want a a morsel that comes from a wheat All right, and you want to eat that. He's like, no, no, no. What I have to give you, what you need to feed on spiritually from me, is what changes your eternal destiny. But some of you right now are saying, I don't like what I'm hearing. Because here's what some of us are hearing. I need to stop chasing the things after this world and chase after Jesus. I don't like that. Some of us are saying that, wait a minute, didn't that passage just say that nobody comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him? It's exactly what it says. It's exactly what it says. Some of us had this idea, I'm going to choose Jesus whenever I choose, whenever I want to. Because God, the, the prophet, the prophet, has to bow down to my whims. You know, today, I'm hearing God called me. I'm going to say no to him, and I'll do it maybe another week or another week. Not knowing that this may be the very last time the Father calls you. Listen, if He truly is God and sovereign over all things, and if He's calling you today into a right relationship with Him through His Son, and you choose to reject that, what you are accepting is food of this earth that is going to eventually kill you. Yet He is saying, take the food that I give that gives eternal life. He has the right to do that since he's God. He has done everything to give you eternal life. And all you need to do is follow his pattern. What's the work that I need to do to inherit eternal life? Believe on the one who he sent. I don't want to do that. I want to do it another way. You know, that's fine. If you want to choose another way, it will not work. This is my way. I'm God. I wrote the, I wrote the procedure and you follow it. You can choose not to. That's the choice that we have in front of us this morning. Some of us don't like this. And I get that. Some of us want to figure God out. Some of us want to say, wait a minute, does that mean that God chose us before the end of the earth and and we have no choice in the matter? And others of us are like, no, 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 no. You see, God is waiting on us to choose. uh, And he's waiting on us. And he's hoping that we all choose. And boy, God would be so happy, but he doesn't have it all figured out. We, we We always try to figure God out. And when we don't figure him out, you have two choices. To rest in him or run. Rest or run. And this, by the way, I'm giving you the answer. This is the test that he's giving his disciples. 
in this passage. Remember, Jesus already knew what he was about to do. Let's read on. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, okay, now we got a whole crowd of people. Their disciples are following him. They may be in the lost stage, okay, the dead stage or the infant stage, whatever. But when many of the disciples heard what Jesus was saying, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Folks, in order for me to come to know Jesus, I have to have him totally figured out. If you need to have Jesus, if you need to have infinite God fit between your two ears, you will never come to him. Because he is almighty. He is all-knowing and you and I are not. He is infinite. We are finite. So that's what these people struggled with. Disciples. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Who can understand this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, Do you take offense at this? Then, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Which, by the way, some of them do. If you were to see that, what would you think? He said, oh, this is powerful. This is underlinable. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus is saying, my work in your life is something that you got to allow me to do. Stop fighting. Let me work in your life. Let me save you. You keep getting your flesh in the way saying, well, I'm going to trust in Jesus plus my good works. It will not work. Lay the flesh down. Let God work. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. I know that was deep. I know that was weighty. But that's the scripture and we need to lay it out. Jesus only gives ultimate provision for his own. Which brings us to the final point, number four. Number four. Listen to what it says. Jesus gives us the opportunity to choose his ultimate provision. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say no one comes unless the Father draws him? Yeah, that's right. You know, So God's got it figured out. Well, he does have it figured out. He has to be for him to be God. Sure. I don't like that. That means I don't have a choice. No, that you're going to read that. Yeah, you do have a choice. Everyone who hears the word of God, you've got a choice. Everyone in that crowd had a choice. Everyone in this crowd today has a choice. Jesus gives us the opportunity to choose his ultimate provision. Look at verse 66. After Jesus said all these things, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What a sad passage of scripture. Which means this. You have a choice. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Oh, this is good. Do not check out here. So Jesus said to the twelve. Okay, now this is his disciples in his small group. Okay, the twelve men in his group. He says, do you want to go away as well? Jesus gave them a choice. Do you want now, after everything I said, it was hard words. I'm God, okay? I said some pretty hard words. Do you also want to go? Do you want to go chasing after the bread of this world? You want to go chase after lust? You want to go chase after alcoholism? You want to go chase after the things that you think will make you happy, but ultimately the good time has a time limit, okay? All the different things that you think are important. You're going to chase after them. You have a choice, disciples, to do that. Do you want to go away as well? Listen to this. This is so awesome. Simon Peter, answering for the group, I believe. Simon Peter answered him and said this. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know That you are the Holy One of God. Test passed. Peter and the disciples were tested. And their test turned into a testimony. Here's what happened. Put it all together. 
The disciples are just like us. Try to figure it all out even though we're walking with Jesus. Okay, so I'm speaking to disciples here. We're still trying to figure it out on our own even though we walk with Jesus. Jesus gives us an impossible task. We try to do it on our own strength and we fail. But the test isn't over with. Eventually the disciples give up and say, Jesus, you need to handle it. We can't do it alone. Jesus swoops in. He takes care of our temporal needs to show us that he can take care of our greater needs. And then we trust him. Even though we read his word and we hear sermons that we don't always like to hear. And then we're like, um, should we run or should we stay? Well, I have to stay. I don't have him all figured out, but I know that he's the son of God. And because he is the son of God, I got nowhere else to turn. As you've passed the test. Here's what Chuck Swindoll, a great uh, Bible teacher in Texas says. He says, when the 12 were asked if they too would stop following him, Peter spoke for the group. He answered with a question that revealed his motivation for staying. staying. He says, to whom shall we go? The implied answer is this, to no one, for Jesus is our only option. His guileless response distinguishes him from the non-believing defectors. Here it comes, listen to this. Whereas they thought they should understand Jesus, and because they couldn't understand, they rejected him, Peter believed in Jesus while admitting he didn't completely understand his teachings. His qualification, Jesus, you have the words of life, merely parroted the Lord's words himself. Just trust in Jesus. The nature of salvation and belief is not merely an intellectual problem. It is primarily volitional. The men want to see and believe. The disciples believed and eventually began to see. Do you have to see before you believe? Or can you trust in everything that the, the unhindered, absolute perfect word of God says about Jesus? And see his works in the people around you and even in you as well. And just rest in the fact that I can't have him figured out. But I'm going to trust him anyway. That is the test that is applied to each and every one of us today. The test is trust. Not in the things that Jesus could do, but the trust in who he is. He is the very son of God. I wrap this up with Moses. Because that's what, you know, there's a theme here with Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, it'll be on your screen. Listen to how this correlates with this miracle. Moses, before he dies, says this. And you shall, before you go into this promised land, okay, and receive the rest and the blessing that God wants to give you to all the people of Israel back then who wandered in the wilderness. He says, before you go in, follow his commands. And he says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Who or what you're trusting in, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Here it comes. And God humbles you, and he lets you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Did you catch what just happened? Moses just said, God's going to give you some food sometimes because he's awesome. Sometimes he's going to cause you to hunger. Why? Because he's awesome. Because he wants you to, to not think about just the outside, but he wants to penetrate your heart because he's more concerned about what your heart is leading you towards than what your mouth is. He's more concerned about taking care of your eternal destiny that lasts millennia upon millennia and so much longer Then these next 10, 15, 20 years, God is after your heart and your soul because he loves you with an everlasting love. And to believe his scriptures is to believe that today, this very day, the father is drawing you to himself because that's the heart of God. He is drawing you to yourself so that you can know the living, the bread of life. So that you will never have to hunger and thirst for eternity again. 
Because he will fill you. You can leave here knowing that you know, that you know you have eternal life with him. If you would do the work of God and believe in his son. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that your word gives us exactly what we need to hear. The words are hard sometimes, God. Because we have spent... 15, 20, 40, 60, 90 years doing it our own way, listening to our own uh, wisdom and our own insight. And then you step in, God, and you give us words that turn us upside down. But God, you do that because you love us. And so God, I pray that everything, Lord, that was said would draw, that you would use, Father God, to draw people to yourself. Help us to know that we need a Savior. We don't need another Moses giving us law and giving us uh, snacks. We need a Savior who will give us salvation and eternal life. So God, my prayer, Lord, that if someone here is confused or if someone in here realizes that they need a Savior, that they wouldn't wait another moment. That they would come to receive you as their only hope. That they would know that there are people right here in the front who love them and want to show them through God's holy and errant word that you are who you say you are. And we are who you say we are. God, may you please move in a mighty way. God, that you would fill this place with your presence so much that no one in here would desire to leave it until they're made right with you. God, we don't want to coerce. We don't want to cajole. All we want to do is we want to open the invitation to anyone who would come. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who maybe have realized through your word that even though they've trusted you as Savior, they're treating you like a, like a tool. God, they would put those thoughts down they would stop trying to earn your favor and they would rest in your forgiveness. Grace. God, I don't know what else to say. May your Holy Spirit speak. May you move in a mighty way that we would never forget. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we praise and pray. Amen.